This is Space Time Series 25, Episode 86, for broadcast on the 3rd of August, 2022. Coming up on Space Time. The Russians threaten to leave the International Space Station. The launch of the ExoMars Mission to the Red Planet delayed to 2028. And records continue to tumble for SpaceX and its Falcon 9 rocket. All that and more coming up on Space Time. Welcome to Space Time with Stuart Gary. Russia have again announced plans to quit the International Space Station sometime after 2024. Moscow says the Russian Federal Space Agency Roscosmos is already working on its own independent orbital space station. To be called the Russian Orbital Service Station, or ROS, its core module is already under construction at Inertia and expected to be completed and ready to launch by 2025. However, at that rate, it'll be 2028 before ROS is fully operational, hence the wiggle room in Moscow saying they'll leave the ISS sometime after 2024. Launched in 1998 and involving the United States, the European Space Agency, Russia, Canada and Japan, the $100 billion International Space Station is the most expensive scientific project in human history. Regular space-time listeners will know that this is the third time Roscosmos has announced its intention to leave the orbiting outpost after making their first announcements back in April last year. That threat came as tensions between Moscow and the West began soaring over espionage claims, the Russian troop build-up along the Ukrainian border, and the deteriorating health of Russian President Vladimir Putin's imprisoned critic Alexei Navalny. At that time, the Russian Deputy Prime Minister Yuri Borisov said Moscow was considering leaving the International Space Station in 2025 because of the space station's age. A series of air leaks and equipment failures had been plaguing the Russian components of the space station and were gradually getting worse. Russian space engineers were putting the problems down to the wear and tear of the space station due to the harsh space environment. However, an air leak aboard a relatively new Soyuz spacecraft orbital module and then the catastrophic launch failure resulting in the destruction of a Soyuz rocket carrying crew to the International Space Station hinted at far deeper problems in Russia's once cutting-edge space industry. The refusal of Russia's firebrand Roscosmos chief Dmitry Rosgozin to explain the failures added more distrust to space operations with Moscow. At one stage, the Russians were even suggesting that the leak on the Soyuz could have been caused by a suicidal American astronaut, when it was clearly a quality control issue that originated during construction of the spacecraft itself. Someone had simply drilled a hole in the wrong place and then tried to patch it. Following the Russian invasion of Ukraine in February 2022, the United States and Europe responded by imposing sanctions on Russia, including the removal of payloads from all future Russian spaceflights and refusal to allow Russian rockets from launching from the European Space Agency's Kourou spaceport in French Guiana. Moscow retaliated by halting all operations of the Russian Erosita X-ray Space Telescope, it's mounted on the joint German-Russian Spectre RG spacecraft. 
They also threatened to unilaterally seize control of the German telescope on the spectre as well, claiming that German officials were all pro-fascist. An echo of their claims a few weeks earlier that the Ukrainian invasion was needed because Ukrainians were Nazis. Moscow then announced plans to develop their own joint lunar space base with the Chinese by 2026. And they also stopped supplying and servicing ID-180 rocket engines for use on American Atlas V boosters. As things continued to heat up, Rosgosen then threatened to let the International Space Station literally fall out of the sky. That was thought to imply the removal of Russian cosmonauts and their Progress cargo ships, which are used to periodically boost the orbiting outpost to higher altitudes as it regularly loses height due to normal orbital decay. The Russian segment of the space station also houses the primary guidance, navigation and control systems. But despite the threats, operations on the space station have continued smoothly, with two new Russian modules, the Nauka Science Module and the Prikal Docking Port, both recently added to the orbiting outpost complex. However, the ongoing geopolitical tension surfaced again last month when the European Space Agency confirmed that it had thrown Russia out of the ExoMars project, sending a rover to the Red Planet to search for signs of past or present life. The mission was to launch in a matter of weeks. And in retaliation for that, Russia's now ordered its cosmonauts on the International Space Station to stop using European equipment, including a new robotic arm built by the Europeans, specifically designed to service the Russian segment of the station. The replacement of the blustery Rogozin with Yuri Borisov as the Roscosmos chief hasn't improved things, with the Kremlin again confirming its decision to leave the International Space Station sometime after 2024, now saying it's its space program's main priority. At this stage, the International Space Station will keep flying until at least 2030. Exactly how they'll keep flying without Russian involvement will depend on what, if any, segments of the space station Moscow leaves behind. And that's where it gets complicated, because some of the key modules of the Russian segment of the space station, although built by Moscow, were actually funded by the United States. This is space time. Still to come. The launch date for the ExoMars mission to find life on the Red Planet moved to 2028... And records continue to tumble for SpaceX and its Falcon 9 rocket. All that and more still to come on Space Time. The European Space Agency's ExoMars mission to search for signs of past or present life on the Red Planet which was supposed to launch in a few weeks' time, has been scrubbed for now and is now not likely to fly before 2028, 10 years after it was first meant to launch. Now, as mentioned earlier in the show, this latest setback was caused by Europe's decision to impose sanctions on Russia in response to Moscow's invasion of Ukraine. Russia was to play an integral role in the ExoMars project. In fact, ExoMars would use a Russian proton rocket to launch from the Baikonur Cosmodrome. And Moscow had especially built the Russian Kazachuk landing platform to deliver Europe's Rosalind Franklin rover down to the Martian surface. The decision to ban Moscow from the project means a different launch vehicle will now be needed and a new landing platform will need to be built from scratch. ESA are hoping the Americans will help out there. 
Ironically, NASA was ESA's original partner in the ExoMars program, but the American agency was forced to withdraw in 2012 following budget cuts by the Obama administration. ExoMars is actually a two-part program. The first part, launched in 2016, placed the trace gas orbiter into Mars orbit and released the Schiaparelli lander, which would descend down to the surface and explore the Meridiani planum. The orbiter successfully achieved Mars orbit insertion, and it continues today to provide science data about the chemical composition of the upper Martian atmosphere and its interaction with space. The lander was meant to descend down to the surface during Mars's dust storm season, which would have provided a unique opportunity to study a dust-laden atmosphere during entry and descent and to conduct surface measurements associated with a dust-rich environment. However, as the lander descended, it suddenly went silent. And later, NASA's Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter imaged what appears to be a crash site, suggesting a catastrophic failure sometime during the entry-descent landing phase. And that brings us to the second part of the ExoMars project. It was originally designed to launch in 2018, two years after the first part, but was delayed by financial issues and rescheduling to 2020. Then, a string of technical issues and the COVID-19 pandemic caused further delays, with the second half of this year pencilled in as the new launch date. That was until the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the imposition of sanctions against Moscow in response. When it does finally launch, the key component of the second mission will be the six-wheeled Rosalind Franklin rover, which will search for evidence of past or present life on the Martian surface, and importantly, below the surface. You see, the 310-kilogram rover carries a massive two-metre drill, which can go far deeper into the red planet's soil than the drills in either NASA's Curiosity or Perseverance rovers, and that allows it to collect samples from much deeper down to places where any samples of past or present life on Mars are far more likely to have survived the bombardment of radiation and cosmic rays from space. However, in order for the project to work, scientists need to ensure that anything they do find on Mars is in fact Martian, and not some contamination actually brought to Mars from Earth. And so, as construction of the rover advances, extra stringent precautions are taken to ensure every step along the way is contamination-free. Every screw, every structural beam, every silicon chip needs to be kept sterile. This has meant construction of the rover needs to be undertaken in one of the cleanest places on Earth. And that's where the clean room comes in. It's among the cleanest places on the planet, much cleaner than any standard hospital operating theatre, thanks to filtered air, application of rigorous cleanliness procedures and workers who remain fully shrouded in bunny suits. The Rosalind Franklin Rovers spent 18 months being put together at Stevenage in the UK before departing for Airbus's plant in Toulouse, France, where environmental testing was undertaken to confirm it's ready for the harsh environmental conditions of Mars. This report from ECTV's Nadija Vicente. Welcome to Stevenage in the United Kingdom. This is the location where Airbus have been building spacecraft for over 50 years. Now they have another crucial project in their hands. The ExoMars rover, also called Rosalind Franklin, is getting its pieces together in a specially designed clean room. Let's have a look at what they are doing. 
Hi, Hello. how are you doing? Hello, Paul. Thanks welcome. for welcoming us. That's all right. Welcome to our clean room. Do you want to come and see the flight rover? Come see Rosalind? Yeah, tell me a bit what, what we want to see. We're going to see the real flight rover today, which is in our biologically controlled clean room. The real so, one. The real sure. one. Yes, the real one. The Finally. final one. Yes, so come on in. <laughs> So this is the uh, flight solar array. It's actually upside down at the moment because they're working on the underside of it. Uh, but that's one part of the, of the rover that's being worked on currently. The other part is up the stairs. So come up on up and we'll have a look at the other half. Here the rover is being fitted. That's right. So the, the main thing they're actually working on at the moment is the locomotion system, which is being bolted onto the side of the rover. Uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll test and we'll make sure that it all works correctly before we uh, ship it off to environmental test. Probably the main thing that makes this particular integration unique is, is the planetary protection elements. So whilst we have tested different uh, models of, of all the equipments talking to each other before, never have we had to do it with all the constraints of all the planetary protection and the cleanliness we need to ensure throughout the process. The goal of ExoMars is to find life on the surface, and more specifically under the surface of Mars. And that means that we absolutely cannot take anything organic with us. So that informs things like material choices. So the wheels on the rover, for example, are metallic rather than being made of rubber. But that also means that when people are working on it, they may, must not in any way organically contaminate the rovers. And I heard that the humans are the main biohazard here. Yeah, by far and away, yes. The, the, the dirtiest thing the rover will encounter throughout this process, unfortunately, are the humans working on it. So to be very, very careful in the way that they do work on it, the, the dress they have to, to, the garments they have to wear, um, and, and how they actually go about working on the flight rover. We shed uh, like millions of uh, particles or skin flakes every day in 24 hours. So now compare these millions uh, every day to 9,800 spores uh, that, uh, that is the, the value of delivery after all the integration, after one year of integration and few months of testing. So this gives you a little bit the level of challenge that, that we have. What is planetary protection? Why we are doing it? The objective of planetary protection is uh, um, uh, to avoid what we call forward contamination, which is basically um, contamination coming from Earth to another planet, in, in, in our case, Mars. And this is mainly to, to avoid what we call false positive. A false positive is when uh, our uh, search for life instruments will detect life, but there is uncertainty if uh, that, that type of life is, is indigenous in the planet or, uh, or is coming from Earth because we contaminated the, the instrument. This is the changing room uh, where we're going to get dressed to enter our uh, bioclean facility. Uh, where I'm our well, uh, the thing is we, we need to get dressed a little bit more careful. We need to, to wear uh, sterile garments and I'll show you in a minute how, how to do this. Okay, so the approach uh, will be uh, from, uh, from the top uh, to the bottom. So we will start uh, putting our uh, sterile gloves on uh, because we have a sterile face mask so to handle the, the, the mask we need to put sterile glove. Mm -hmm. So if you sneeze in the area uh, what you should do is leave the area and then uh, depending on the, um, you know, the amount of sneeze that you have mm -hmm. you can even be escorted out. We have been told about all the challenges of keeping the rubber clean to go to Mars, but what are the challenges of the environment over there once it lands? 
One of the big things about Mars is that it's very, very cold there, but also that the temperature fluctuates quite dramatically day to night. So you've got to survive in this very cold environment. All of your batteries, all of your computers have to keep going even though the temperature is very low. I spent five years leading the design team for the structure of the rover, so including the bathtub. And the bathtub is really quite a bespoke and unusual piece of equipment. So it provides a lot of structural functions, but also things like thermal insulation. It's got to be bio-containing, so it's got to stop any contaminants inside the rover from getting to the outside and to the, to the Martian environment. But also it's going to be one of the first carbon fibre structures on Mars. What is this little thing here next to the drill? Uh, so just on the side we have the cloopy, which is the close-up imager and that's one of the ways that we're going to look at the sample and um, that we're bringing into the drill and detect whether there's anything interesting there, any microfossils or any interesting kind of chemical structures in our rock. What is this? What, what is what you have This here? is what we call the Mars Yard. It the Mars Yard? The Mars Yard. It is a simulation of the surface of Mars. We have a test rover, as you can see on the surface there and we run it around on, on the surface, testing the different capability uh, and the, the limitations of the rover we have. Let's have a look. Yes. Wow. So here we have it, yes. Real Martian environment. It is, a, it is the simulation of, the real, of what we expect to find on Mars uh, with the sand and, and the rock as well as dunes, as you can see in the background. The analytical drawer is the science package uh, of the rover, which contains a number of instruments that are going and mechanisms that are going to process the sample and look for the carbon atom as a sign of extinct or extant life. Uh, it's very sterile because we want to find the life that's there and not what we brought with it during the integration process here on Earth. I've been involved in Mars missions for quite a while. And it interests me, the, spe the specialist and the constraints of putting something on Mars and the ability to look, to answer the question of whether there's life on another planet. It's all getting integrated together and you know that that hardware that you once just dreamed of and was once just an idea in your head is now physically a reality and it's actually going to another planet. I mean, that's pretty cool. Be standing in front of the one that's actually really going to go. That's, for me, that's, that's the reward of doing all of this. It's the end product. It's the end game now. And in that report from ECTV's Nadija Vicente, we heard from Paul Meacham, lead systems engineer at Airbus Defence and Space. Silvio Simboliti, Planetary Protection Officer at Airbus Defence and Space, and Abby Hutty, Airbus Defence and Space's Space Structures Engineer. This is Space Time. Still to come, records continue to tumble for SpaceX and its Falcon 9 rocket. And later in the science report, researchers develop a water-activated disposable paper battery. All that and more still to come on Space Time. SpaceX has set a new launch record with its latest Starlink satellite mission. The mission from Space Launch Complex 39A at the Kennedy Space Center in Florida was the company's 33rd launch this year and the sixth in one month. The flight aboard a Falcon 9 rocket successfully deployed all 53 of the 260-kilogram broadband satellites into orbit. 
The rocket's core stage then successfully returned to Earth, landing nine minutes after launch on the drone ship a shortfall of Gravitas, which had been pre-positioned downrange in the North Atlantic Ocean. The launch came just days after another Falcon 9 Starlink mission carried 46 satellites into orbit from Space Launch Complex 4 East at the Vandenberg Space Force Base in California. That flight, the 32nd this year, broke SpaceX's previous record of 31 launches in a single calendar year, set in 2021. The launch vehicle's first stage then returned safely to Earth, landing on the drone ship Of Course I Still Love You, which had been pre-positioned downrange in the North Pacific Ocean. The mission had been delayed by several days because of poor weather conditions after the original launch was aborted with just seconds to go because of heavy fog. The mission was also SpaceX's second Starlink launch from Vandenberg in less than 12 days. SpaceX have now launched some 2,858 Starlink satellites with plans to eventually have a constellation containing over 30,000 of the spacecraft. This is Space Time. And time now to take another brief look at some of the other stories making news in science this week with the Science Report. A new study has found that plastic pollution is stimulating bacterial growth in freshwater lakes. The findings, reported in the journal Nature Communications, shows that as plastic degrades in fresh water, it leaches out chemicals which are providing energy for bacteria to grow. Researchers studied 29 lakes in Scandinavia to get a better sense of how the chemicals leached from plastic shopping bags affected bacterial growth rates. It turns out the compounds dissolved from the plastic were easier for bacteria to use as a carbon source than what they would have used naturally. And this increased accessibility to carbon boosted bacterial growth by 1.72 times. The authors suggest that some kinds of bacteria which are already found in the lakes may well be suited to removing these plastic chemicals and could aid in future pollution mitigation strategies. A new study has found that teens who vape are more likely to try cannabis later on. The findings, reported in the Journal of the American Medical Association, looked at data from 9,828 teens, none of whom had tried cannabis at the start of the study. They found that e-cigarette users were far more likely to have tried cannabis when they followed up a year later. Scientists have developed a water-activated disposable paper battery, which they say could minimise environmental impacts of single-use electronics. The proof-of-principle study, published in the journal Scientific Reports, claims the researchers combined two cells into one battery and then used it to power an alarm clock with a liquid crystal display. They found that after two drops of water were added to the battery, it activated within 20 seconds and reached a stable charge of 1.2 volts. Now that's close to a standard AA battery's 1.5 volts. After drying out and rehydration, the battery maintained a stable operating voltage of 0.5 volts for more than one hour. The engineers say their battery could be used to power a whole range of single-use low-power disposable electronic devices such as single-use labels for tracking objects, environmental sensors and medical diagnostic devices, while at the same time minimising their environmental impact. 
Okay, let's now join technology editor Alex Zaharov-Royt from ITWire.com as he tells us about a new software update for Windows 10 users and how to ecologically recycle your old electronics. But first, are we seeing the rise of the machines? Has the takeover begun? I am, of course, referring to the robotic vacuum cleaner that wound up, quite literally in this case, eating a sleeping woman's hair. Well, those uh, circumstances seem to be more coincidental than... Uh, so it's not purposely, ...purposely evil. Yeah, no. I, <laughs> I mean, look at look this I, here. And so it begins. And so it begins, indeed, da, da, yes, da, da. yes. But later this decade, we'll definitely start seeing more of these robots. And uh, I guess we'll also be hearing about more of these instances, hopefully coincidental. But the short version is that we don't have to fear technology just yet, unless it happens to be a nuclear weapon rapidly approaching our destination. I saw a video today of uh, one of the Boston Dynamics dogs with a machine gun attached to its back, and it was firing the machine gun. Uh, Anything's possible. I mean... If it had a machine gun, you probably wouldn't be terribly happy to see it, and you'd probably be fleeing in the other direction. Then we had this thing today. This was in Moscow. A little kid was playing against a robot, and the Mm -hmm. kid was going a bit too fast for the robot, and the robot grabbed his finger and accidentally broke well grabbed yeah. his finger and broke it uh, he probably thought it was a chest piece or something i'm sure that's exactly what it was but uh, yeah. the uprising has begun yes yes but i mean again those things are just coincidence unfortunate coincidences but coincidences nonetheless anyway well that's what they want us to think <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> people are still using windows 10 yeah oh look windows 10 is still going to be around for at least a couple of years yet windows 11 uh, is the new system of course but a lot of computers aren't able to upgrade that decision that microsoft made uh, i must still criticize it things about Windows 10 I prefer compared to Windows 11, but that, that's just a question of habit for me, I think. Yeah, well, Microsoft did change the taskbar and uh, changed the way some of, yeah, but it was it was the way some of the apps that actually could run in the taskbar no longer could. And uh, look, Microsoft will presumably slowly bring various things back, but they changed the start menu as well, put it all in the middle, tried to modernize it. But uh, one thing's for sure, you know, I'll usually advise whenever there's an update to update immediately because these updates are normally closed security vulnerabilities. Sometimes they are actively being exploited. But with Windows, especially with Windows 10, there's there's been a lot of instances where people have installed a Windows 10 update and it has deleted files or it's caused all kinds of problems, which has gone back over many years. And the latest update mucks up your USB printing and and seems to put a duplicate of your printer with the suffix copy one. And then you've got to sort of figure out which one to print to because the default one is not the copy one. Microsoft has acknowledged the problem. They're going to have a fix. But the short version, is that you need to go into the settings and go into devices and printers and see if you can activate the copy one and do a test print on that. If that one works, will you use that one? And there's other ways you can change the printer properties of your default printer and change the port to the port that the copy one is using. I mean, it's all a bit of a nightmare. There's also advice, you know, uninstall the driver and reinstall it. But really, Microsoft needs to get the fix out ASAP so that people don't have to stuff around to try and do something as simple and as basic as printing to your printer. Tell me about Mobile Muster. Yeah, this is an Australian program supported by the phone companies, which has for many years recycled phones, been able to uh, recover a lot of the precious metals, the rare earth metals and other, you know, gold and silver and other things they use 
use in mobile phones. They're only tiny amounts, but if they can reuse those, I mean, I think the Apple iPhone currently is the only phone or one of the only phones anyway, but Apple announced it recently that they're using 100% recycled gold on their motherboards. So this is something that is environmentally friendly and the Mobile Master Program has been around for many, many years, over 15 years, probably getting close to 20 years now. But uh, they have just announced the TP-Link, which makes Wi-Fi routers and other networking equipment has joined the scheme. And what Mobile Master has announced is that they're now going to recycle routers smart home technology, wearables, and peripherals. So this is expanding the amount of e-waste that they collect and recycle. And look, a lot of your local councils already have some kind of e-waste collection scheme. So, I mean, uh, Mobile Master is not alone in doing this, but it just means that the collection points, or at least I assume it means the collection points that are currently accepting phones can now also start accepting some of these other devices. I know that recently I had an older iPhone and there was a Vodafone store, which is my closest store, and that uh, was able to accept it. And you know, I walked in and asked them, do you do the mobile monster? So they said, yep, they took it and it was gone. It was better than obviously throwing it in the trash or you know, trying to sell an out-of-date iPhone on, on eBay. I mean, unless it's the iPhone 1, it's probably not worth very much unless I hang on to it for you know, 20 or 30 or 40 years. <laughs> ah, welcome to but, my uh, world. I'm very much like the Sheldon Cooper where I've got every iPhone, every cell phone, I've ever owned in every computer. Most tape recorders I've owned, and yes, they were tape recorders in those days. Yeah, I just don't throw things out. I just put them in the garage. Yes, yes. Well, eventually you run out of space. And look, I, I have uh, taken to the Mobile Master type of recycling places. Many mobile phones over the years, there's just too many of them. And uh, sometimes the batteries inside start to expand and pop out of the case. And it's like, I don't need this thing to explode and, and burn all the rest of the stuff down. That's Alex Harovroyd from ITY.com. That's the show for now. Space Time is available every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday through Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Acast, Amazon Music, Bytes.com, SoundCloud, YouTube, your favorite podcast download provider, and from SpacetimeWithStuartGary.com. Space Time's also broadcast through the National Science Foundation on Science Zone Radio and on both iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio. And you can help to support our show by visiting the Spacetime store for a range of promotional merchandising goodies. Or by becoming a Spacetime patron, which gives you access to triple episode commercial-free versions of the show, as well as lots of bonus audio content which doesn't go to air, access to our exclusive Facebook group, and other rewards. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.com for full details. And if you want more space time, please check out our blog where you'll find all the stuff we couldn't fit in the show, as well as heaps of images, news stories, loads of videos, and things on the web I find interesting or amusing. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.tumblr.com. That's all one word, and that's Tumblr without the E. You can also follow us through at StuartGary on Twitter, at SpacetimeWithStuartGary on Instagram, through our Spacetime YouTube channel. And on Facebook, just go to facebook.com forward slash Spacetime with Stuart Gary. And Spacetime is brought to you in collaboration with Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, your window on the universe. You've been listening to Spacetime with Stuart Gary. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. 